everything's been changing really fast except two giant institutions in our society, healthcare and education. People are hungry for change in education. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a Reality Check. Mark Johnson was elected North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction in 2016. He campaigned as a strong supporter of educational opportunity and innovation and has kept his promises. North Carolina is ranked number seven in the Parent Power Index, which is delivered every year by the Center for Education Reform and has been recognized nationally by his peers and state superintendents, cities, and advocates alike. He has a kind of Jekyll and Hyde political situation in the state, a mostly friendly legislature at this point and mostly unfriendly governor to work on serious education reform issues. We'll see if Mark has any magic potions to navigate between the personalities and maybe he's made some changes that uh, we hope we can use as models for other states. Mark, welcome to Reality Check. Oh, thanks for having me. So I need to share with our listeners a little bit about your backstory. Uh, for those of you all out there who don't really follow uh, the position of superintendent, sometimes it's called commissioner in states, it's a position that in a majority of states is actually appointed by the governor or a state board of education. So you all out there vote for your governor, the governor will appoint their state superintendent or commissioner or appoint a board that in fact then appoints someone else. However, in North Carolina and a handful of other states, you have to run for election. So it's kind of like running for the United States Senate, if not governor itself, because you've got to secure enough people who really believe in you. And Mark, you knocked out an incumbent who had been there for, what, 20-some-odd, 30 12, years? Yeah, 12, 12, going for uh, a term that would get her to 16. That's, that's correct. And uh, it was uh, quite a daunting process, but I'll, I'll tell you, it all goes back to my time in the classroom. After, after I graduated from college, I, I did the Teach for America program, got me into a very challenging environment in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, where I just saw so many of my students that were in the ninth grade were 15, 16, 17-year-olds, uh, and just facing lots of obstacles that have a lot to do with poverty, and we, we know that, and there are things we have to do uh, to help people pull their bootstraps and get out of poverty, uh, but it's also uh, education policy. Education policy, I, I really got frustrated as, at the teacher level and said, you know, one day if I ever have the opportunity, I'm going to run for school board, and I, I want to I have an impact on the policy decisions that are affecting what I'm doing in the classroom. Uh, and so that day came years later. Uh, it was still earlier in my life than I thought I'd run for anything. But I was living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and a spot on the school board opened up there. Uh, I, I immediately reached out to local officials, le reached out to anyone who knew anything about running a political campaign, and asked for all the advice I could get, and then uh, took all of it to heart and, and worked ex very hard. Actually ended up winning a seat on the school board. Uh, I had a I had an election that, uh, again, was it's, it's a school board, so kind of like my race being statewide and elected. 
uh, a school board even across the county is not very well known. And out of 100,000 ballots that were cast, I won my little school board race by 300 votes. (laughs) And so uh, that kind of explains, I I realized, you know, you you might not win them all, but you're not going to be able to go make a difference unless you put your name on the ballot. So I was on the school board. I was making a difference for the community of Winston-Salem. But I kept hearing all these complaints about, you know, the, the lack of urgency to change things in Raleigh. Uh, and that's actually when I started really investigating this position of state superintendent of North Carolina and found out, as you pointed to, uh, about two-thirds of all the state superintendents or education commissioners in the United States, about two-thirds are appointed or hired in some form or fashion. Only less than a third, it's not even a third anymore because they're changing them, less than a third are elected. Uh, I realized the one in North Carolina is elected, and not only is it elected, it's also a partisan race, mm-hmm. which that, that's even more rare when it comes to these races. But I realized, we're talking about the 2016 election, I was hearing all of the concerns from parents, from teachers, from community members and students about what's going on in our education system, this lack of urgency to innovate, to change things. And I realized that with the right amount of hard work and the right conditions, that yes, a change agent could win this seat, uh, pointing to the fact that people are hungry for change in education. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I, I was talking to someone once and he pointed out that Everything in our society is changing, and it's changing at this lightning speed, especially now with technology and all of the smart devices that have really just flipped our world upside down and all the use of Internet to to change our everyday lives. Everything we do from shopping to ordering food to, uh, you know, everything, even now our travel. So everything's been changing really fast except two giant institutions in our society, healthcare and education. And that is really where you're getting a lot of response from people of, yes, educators are working harder than ever. Yes, we all care about the future of our nation and our our students having the opportunity to go to school, to work hard, and to reach their American dream. We might have different opinions on how we get there, but we all care. What we all can agree on is we're not uh, providing that opportunity, we're not providing the change that's needed fast enough. No, we're uh, not cutting it. We're not. We're not doing nearly really as well. And I think you're so right about a couple of things too. First of all, with the advent of technology and access to lots more information, now you can see it. Right? It was. It was harder um, when your predecessor, the incumbent, first got elected. Uh, she had to rely on only a couple of constituencies to help her get elected because most people didn't feel like they were empowered. So she had lots of support from the Education Association, i.e. the union, the school boards, districts. And it was kind of like in so many states, not just North Carolina, as in so many places, and this is not a partisan comment, kind of like Boss Tweed, right? You're sitting there, you've been elected, everybody likes you, it's great. No, you know, if anybody has a problem... You know, they'll vote in governor's election or maybe they'll go and, and yell at their local school board. But really, they didn't feel empowered. When you ran in 2016, do you think people were more empowered because it was kind of the character of that race that year? Do you think it was generational? I mean, you're considerably younger than she was. Uh, by the way, I'm older than you, so I'm not picking on older people. 
but I do but I do think there's a lot of folks out there who don't want to take it anymore whereas my generation was more than happy to let somebody else do the job. <laughs> I think it was all of the above. I think everything came together at the at the right moment for change. Uh, it it was the fact that people started realizing all right, uh, they've been telling us that there are these new state standards, uh, but they're, and they're, they, they share our concerns, but then they tell us there's nothing they can do about it. Well, clearly someone has to be able to do something about these concerns. Then testing. All right, we know parents and students and teachers are all mad about all the testing and too much testing. And yes, we want to have the right amount so we can have the accountability metrics, but we don't need all the testing on the local level, then on the state level, then on the federal level. And they tell you, yes, we understand your concerns, but there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, after a while of hearing that over and over again, that you start to realize, wait a minute, is there really nothing that can be done about it, or is it just... Uh, the status quo is taken over in Raleigh, and there's nobody really pushing. And so, yes, uh, generational, that, that desire for a change, I, I, I really was able to put out there that things don't have to be this way. We don't need to keep doing more of the same. Uh, we need to get in there with some urgency to actually tackle these issues, whether it be, uh, you know, whether your main issue is you're, you're mad about state standards or you're mad about over-testing, or to your point, the more and more information that's getting out there, you start to realize, yes, we, most of our teachers are working very hard. Most of our principals are working very hard. They're working harder than ever, but they're in an outdated system a system that needs innovation desperately, and that's what I brought. And the, the, the information you're talking about, the knowledge, is getting out there the fact that when you start looking at how we're doing as a state, uh, only about half of our third graders are reading on grade level. Uh, so you're, you're hearing all these frustrations about testing, about state standards. You're hearing that we need to do this, we need to do that. But what have we been doing for the past 40 years for our students mm -hmm. that has really moved the needle for them? And that's where we need that injection of uh, someone who's new, brings a fresh perspective, uh, is not afraid to kind of go against the status quo, uh, because that has not been easy, um, as, as you know in your role. Uh, going against the status quo is very challenging, uh, and you get a lot of pushback. But it's the right thing to do for students. And guess what? It's the right thing to do for educators as well, because you talk about some of the old systems, yes. of the, the, the teacher union speaking for the teachers. I, I guarantee you there are 100,000 teachers in North Carolina, and the teacher association here does not represent all of their views and let's uh, and, at, and, no, and, at, no, at no level. No, absolutely. And let's talk about that, too, because you mentioned innovation. Let's talk about innovation in teacher jobs slash compensation slash the ability for them to do their jobs and be paid well for doing good. So many of you know that North Carolina and Superintendent Mark Johnson, who we're talking with right now, had to endure the National Education Association as launch of walkouts and strikes. They didn't want to call them strikes. We know for a fact that was poll tested. They said, don't call them strikes because you can't strike, but we'll just call it, you know, walkouts. So it looks like teachers actually got up one morning and decided to do this themselves. Uh, but I digress. But in several states, including North Carolina, they coordinated 
where teachers would really literally walk out on their students on the classrooms. They pulled in a couple of charter schools, too. And they there, just like Arizona and Oklahoma and West Virginia, talked about teacher pay. And Mark, I got to tell you something. I still don't get why more people aren't talking about the fact that the very pay scales that North Carolina and other states used to pay teachers were created by the very association and leadership that is telling them to walk out. So so help our listeners understand that you're not sitting there and pro-charter and choice and innovation people aren't sitting there saying teachers should make $41,000. Tell people who are the ones that say you got to wait until you're almost retired to make the highest salary after your kids are grown, after your or your biggest expenses are gone. Well, that's right. Basically, so people know, in North Carolina, the the General Assembly is controlled by Republicans now. Uh, they they won control in 2010. It's the first time uh, they've ever really had control. And when they did that, they came in and they saw the pay scale that was there for teachers, and they actually changed it to get teachers up to the maximum. Uh, that the maximum height of the pay ladder uh, much earlier in their career. Uh, so that's one thing they changed. Uh, to your point as well, we in North Carolina have made significant investments in teacher pay over the last few years. And now the average teacher pay in North Carolina is 29th in the entire nation. We are actually second in the entire South only to Georgia. The median teacher salary in North Carolina is now more than the median household income in North Carolina. And I'll repeat that. The median teacher salary for one teacher is more than the median household income in North Carolina. Wow. Uh, these are amazing statistics, yet we still had teachers who, shut, who, who, who took uh, leaves of absence for a day in order to close down school systems uh, in order to protest in Raleigh. Um, and now, unfortunately, some of the leaders of that group are trying to say, well, you can't believe what they say about average teacher pay, and they, you know, they're trying to break that up. The average teacher pay calculation and ranking is what's done by their parent organization in D.C., right. the NEA. Right. It's been calculated the same way for over 20 years. Uh, and uh, this is the ranking is what comes out from the parent organization. So that was that was very unfortunate. But it really it really uh, goes into uh, this idea that yes, th- there's more at play here. There definitely is politics at play here. Uh, and I-, I put out a message again. I always treat this knowing that one group or another group, no matter what their political background, they, they don't speak for all the teachers. Um, and I, I even put out there that I don't claim to speak for all the teachers. I, I don't want to claim that because I know there are 100,000 educators in this state, just like there are you know, 10 million people in this state. They all have their different opinion. Uh, they elect me, the people in North Carolina elect me to take the information and do the best innovations and changes that we can to lead, but it doesn't mean I speak for all of them and, and say what all their opinion is. Uh, neither does that mean that one either very liberal group can speak for all the teachers across the entire state. Right. And so when I, when I address teachers, I, I treat them that way, and I let them know where I stand on things, 
Uh, and that is exactly what I did uh, this past year uh, when when they started planning another walkout, uh, especially in North Carolina after we got hit by a, a very strong hurricane earlier in the year and a lot of students missed a lot of days. I said, please don't do this. You know, come and come and if you know have your voices heard. But do it when the school year's over. The General Assembly in North Carolina will still be here in Raleigh. Uh, come together, have your voices heard. That is your First Amendment right. No one's trying to tell you not to do that, but, but do it on a day that won't close schools. I will tell you this, and this is, this is where— Well, they want to uh, cause pain, though. Let's be clear. They, they want to cause do, pain. And, that, and that's exactly where I was going. And I, I do wish that some of the mainstream media would at least— uh, report some of that part of the story as well, because I did listen to much of the rally uh, that they had because it was live streaming, and the very last speaker congratulated the teachers on closing down school districts and called it a victory. And I can tell you that is not a victory. That is not a victory for the students who needed that day of learning. It's not a victory for the parents who had to make other arrangements that day. Um, and and that, 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 was, that was upsetting to hear that, yes, some of the leaders of that organization did treat this as a way to, to, to draw pain in North Carolina when are we going to agree on everything? No. But are we making strides in the right direction? Absolutely. And, and until we get a handle on other issues like pensions, like the cost in general of education, which a lot of districts – um, you know, suck the air out of the room, if you will, and we're paying for a lot of stuff that's codified. I mean, the legislature right now has done a lot of extraordinary things to stem the tide of kind of growing and encroaching bureaucracy, but there's a lot more to do. The other thing I'll point out, uh, and you know this, Mark, about teacher comp. I mean, my friend Rick Hess over at the American Enterprise Institute has written about this quite a bit. If you actually calculate teacher pay based on time in the classroom, time working outside of the classroom, and time off, and pensions, and all the different benefits, it's a pretty higher, it's a considerably higher amount than just that median salary, which as you said, is above the median household in North Carolina is. And so the innovations we need, I don't know, let's talk about the young people out there who are teaching, we're not so young, and they're still, and they're having kids, and they want to be a teacher and they still need an income, but maybe they don't want to be full-time. What about allowing more part-time, certified, well-salaried people? Or what about all the baby boomers, of which there are a plentiful number, who really didn't plan to retire and play golf all the time, but would love to be in the classroom? If you think about ways that we could actually use entrepreneurial techniques and approaches to jobs the way the private sector is doing outside of education, couldn't we figure out a way that teachers who wanted to work less, make less could, and people who want to make a boatload more and work more could? Yes, and we, and we need to start having that conversation because uh, this all goes back to the economy is so hot right now uh, that we need to start thinking outside the box. For example, uh, computer science and coding. We know we need to get more uh, classes available to our students for computer science and coding because here in North Carolina alone we have 20,000 jobs open right now with that kind of uh, background required. But it doesn't require a four-year degree. It could be a high school credential. It could be a two-year community college degree. But those are great jobs waiting for students, a great pathway to pull your bootstraps up and get out of poverty right there. Uh, but we need the teaching force to come in 
to be able to teach those. Uh, and to your point, uh, we are launching a program back to school next year for the 1920 school year called Teach NC, and we want to talk to that broad range of people. We want to talk to high school students to think about teaching. We want to talk to college students to get them into the field. We also want to talk to people who may be near retirement or maybe in a career that is not as fulfilling as they had hoped it would be come into teaching, but we've got to be able to also give them the strategies that help fit what they're looking for. And here in North Carolina, uh, we have connected every single classroom to high-speed wireless Internet. It's a huge accomplishment. A uh, big, big shout-out to our Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, who's been on your show before. Uh, he, he really helped spearhead that. And we've done it, so now what do we do with it? Well, we need to plug in just what you were talking about, the most rural parts of North Carolina, where those small school districts are not going to be able to be able to find someone who is uh, this expert that may be living in Raleigh. You know, the Raleigh school system could have them, Wake County schools, uh, but we need to make sure that we're using that technology to provide those classes, to stream them in to those rural areas. Uh, and that is one of the next big chapters that we're working on in North Carolina under our digital learning plan to make sure that it's not just the flexibility for the professional, the educator, but also the opportunity for the students so that no matter where you are in North Carolina, you have access to these amazing, amazing opportunities and classes. Absolutely. And you have them not just from people around the state, people around the world. I mean, imagine, right? Imagine having, you know, someone who's teaching about archaeology in a completely other country, you know, uh, being able to be beamed in to or streamed into a classroom somewhere. I mean, talk about empowering educators and empowering students. And we've just got to get past this notion that we have to confine ourselves to the way to the way things used to be. Um, so, Mark, let me ask you about that as we start closing down. So, you are uh, you're up for re-election in uh, just next year, as is Governor Roy Cooper. And uh, so I know you will be making a big run for it to be able to continue the work you've done in expanding opportunities and innovation. What are the biggest challenges you think that people need to be aware of in the public realm? So even though you're not running for president yet, you're running for superintendent. (laughs) Please, no. (laughs) you're, You're obviously hearing what's going on out there. Um, what do we need to know from the real people that you're seeing every day uh, in order for us to challenge those who are running at the national level? You know, we're just we're not changing fast enough. And I think that's where you really see some of the uh, concern and anger, especially out in the rural America, uh, feeling like the whole world is changing very fast. But our institutions, I mean, is is education. So if you live in rural North Carolina, do you feel like your child, their education uh, opportunities has changed at the same pace that they're changing in the research triangle? Health care, do you feel like you have the access to health care they'll have elsewhere? And I think you see it, it doesn't mean that everyone has to change everything about themselves. It's just an acknowledgement that this whole world has been turned upside down by technology, by devices. Much of that is for good, and it's making the world a better place to live in, but it also comes with a lot of change that can be scary. And is that change uh, something that everyone is benefiting from? And I think that's that's probably the the overarching 
uh, theme that you can find in the 2016 election, and I believe you'll find in 2020 as well. And I think you can you can plug that theme into job opportunities. You can plug that into education. You can put it into healthcare. It's it's going to be is everything changing so fast, and do people feel like they're able to uh, catch on and benefit from that change, or does it feel like everything's changing and you have a whole section of our population that feels left behind? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, I, and as one of my guests, Eugene Slocum from Alpha Academy put it, you know, there are so many great institutions of higher learning, community college, traditional schools. As you know, my daughter, my baby is a demon deacon. Um, and uh, right, we right can, there in Winston-Salem. Right? right. And, you know, but you've got so many great triangle schools, the Tar Heels, Wolfpack, Blue Devils, whatever. I mean, you've got so many in-state schools. You also have more and more access for people in your state to access online and digitally what's outside we just don't have enough graduates going to those schools. I mean, I love the fact that we can all show up from some other state and go to your great public and private institutions, but wouldn't it be amazing if there were so many people who could get into those locally that you barely had out-of-staters? And, and, and that's right. And then, and not, not even that moving it a step before even talking about that is the idea of career pathways, starting in middle school and high school, about engaging students in what their future could be instead of just focusing on, well, here's the list of math classes you have to take, here's the list of science classes you have to take. How do we connect that in this new era to students actually pointing out a path of, all right, I do this, this, and this in high school, and I can either get a credential or I can go to community college or I can go to, like you said, one of these great institutions in North, in, in North Carolina, and I have a pathway to success mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just, uh, here's what you got to go do, try to figure it out. Oh, and if it doesn't work out for you, you have a lot of student debt and you're not going to have a job that helps you pay it off. Uh, that, that is kind of the big uh, overarching theme in education. Get people excited about their future, uh, but make sure they also have a path towards it. I've been speaking with Mark Johnson, Superintendent of Public Instruction in the state of North Carolina, and he ran for office and he is pushing and working 24-7 to do something that he wouldn't have had to do. He had a degree from Emory University. He got a law degree from UNC Chapel Hill. But he chose to take his talents and time and put them to work in an elected office for the students and the families and communities of North Carolina. And folks out there, when people come knocking on your door and they want help, you need to listen Otherwise, you shouldn't be wringing your hands, calling us, or writing letters to the editor. Because when we have people that are this talented at this level doing this, I hope we will all figure out ways to support them. Mark, thank you so much for being my guest today. I look forward to working with you in the future on all of your endeavors. And uh, listen, hang in there. Uh, Well, thank you. And I I always want to say it is a true honor and a privilege to be able to serve in this capacity. Uh, and, And I wake up every day thankful for the opportunity to make this difference. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.